Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. This is Valerie Koo and welcome to today's installment of Murder and Mayhem, where you get to delve into the minds of some of the world's best crime and thriller authors. Now, we'd love you to head on over to murdercourse.com to get your free copy of the ebook called A Month of Murder and Mayhem. And check that out because that is an accompaniment to this pop-up podcast series. It's called A Month of Murder and Mayhem, Spend 31 Days with the World's Best Crime and Thriller Authors. And you know, you might want to listen to the podcast some days, but sometimes you might be in the mood to have a look at the analog version, to have a written ebook in front of you where we've picked out some of the key takeaways from the insights and the tips from the world's best crime and thriller authors. So remember, you can get that for free at murdercourse.com. Today, we're having a chat with David Rollins, and he is an action thriller author based in Sydney. He started off with a career in advertising, but then made the switch to writing. And he has since produced thrillers such as the Vin Cooper series, which included Standoff, Warlord and Ghost Watch. And there's nothing like a bit of edge of your seat thriller, fast paced action happening in a book to keep you, oh, you know, short of breath and, and, and turning the page, wondering what's going to happen next. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this interview with David. Now, remember that this interview first appeared in our other podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer, which is a top-rating podcast on iTunes and was recently named by the US-based website Book Riot as one of the 30 most outstanding podcasts in the world. So if you're interested in the world of writing and publishing and blogging in from across all genres, then that is the podcast for you. But here, we have curated the best crime and thriller authors in the world so that you can get tips directly from them all under one roof. I hope you enjoy this chat with David Rollins. 
David, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Now, tell us, when and how did you start writing about action and adventure and crime fiction? Well, I guess, um, uh, look, I read Tom Clancy's uh, Hunt for Red October, and it just opened my eyes to, um, uh, I guess, a whole other world of of writing. I'd always enjoyed, you know, things like Ian Fleming's James Bond, and and, uh, I don't know, I just thought, well... I'd like to have a crack at that, and one day um, I'd had an idea sort of sitting in the back of my head, and and it was a slow day at the office one day, and I just started writing. <laughs> and a slow day in the office, tell us what were you doing at the time, because you came to writing kind of later in life, didn't you? I did, yes. Look, I, I had my own uh, advertising agency at the time, and, um, uh, you know, I'd been pursuing that that uh, that career and in advertising, you ha- it's all or nothing, and um, so I I don't know. Look, I'd always been a writer as well, and and I think uh, I had a view that you can't really call yourself a writer because I'd started out as a journalist, then I was a copywriter, which is sort of the advertising equivalent of a writer, and um, I think you can't really call yourself a writer until you've written a book. So it was always in the back of my mind to do that, and I just, I guess, I had the opportunity one day with a, a few spare hours just to jot down that thought. And once I'd done that, I thought, oh, well, you know, I might just keep writing. So that's essentially what I did. So when you had that slow day in the office and you jotted down some thoughts, were the thoughts an actual story, a plot, a character? What actually started? Well, it was a. It was an idea that I'd had um, for quite some time, and I don't—I can't even remember who told me this, but uh, someone had said to me once that in the Indonesian military regarded Australia as South Aryan Jaya, and I said, "Ooh, that's interesting." And when we uh, invaded, when the Australian um, uh, army was under the, you know, the guise of the, um, the United Nations force. Uh, invaded East Timor to assist the um, East Timorese in their uh, drive to become, uh, you know, separate or autonomous from from uh, the Indonesians. Uh, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if uh, a clique of Indonesian generals decided to get, you know, to pay us back sometime down the track? Mm. Uh, because they'd always, always regarded Australia as their territory in a funny sort of way, hence, the, you know, the South Indian jive is. And so I, it was more. It was more a bit of plot, and you know, of course, and never having written a book before, and and there being no real, um, you, you know, sort of course to do that. Uh, I uh, made the mistakes that people usually do when they, you know, write their first book, and I learnt them as I went. And so, as a consequence, I had to write the, the story, rewrite the story thirty-five times to make it, you know, halfway reasonable. Thirty-five times. <laughs> Yeah, I got nauseous, you know, by time, by, you know, rewrite number 10, every time I started, I would just get physically sick with the thought of reading this thing again. Um, but, you know, each time I did it, I, I made it, you know, better and, you know, things occurred to me and, and the characters got better and um, it's, yeah, that's where, that's kind of how my first um, book, Rogue Element, began. And how did you, apart from rewriting it 35 times, how else did you hone your skills? Did you get support or advice from other people? Well, my mother is a journalist, and in fact, I've got quite a few journalists in my family and, and writers, and Mary Moody, for example, is, is uh, my second cousin. Right. Um, 
So yeah, I had a, I had I had quite a few. You know, I had some um, writers sort of in the family that I could call on to read the material. I also um, hired the services of a, a professional manuscript assessor, mm. and I guess I was just waiting for someone to tell me the story was crap. Um, but no one ever did. But but by the same token, you know, I I, I sent the, the the manuscript out to seventy eight um, publishers around the world and got seventy eight rejection slips. Um, so I, you know, uh, the fact that it did get published is just is more a, a testament to my doggedness than anything else. And after the 78th rejection slip, how did you keep going? What motivated you to keep on going down this path? Well, as each, as each of these letters, you know, kept appearing in my letterbox, you know, the first dozen or so, I, I, I would tear open, you know, with anticipation, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the, yes, welcome to, you're now a writer, here you go, we're going to publish this thing and give you a ton of money. Um and uh, but none of that happened. So I, I, you know, I did have a, I did have doubts, and I went, you know, back to the people, I, you know, who'd read the stuff before, and I said, you know, tell me honestly, is this crap or or um, is it not? And as I said, no one, no one said, and I'm not a standover guy either. So I wasn't, you know, kind of threatening them at all. I said, please tell me it's crap and put me out of my misery. And they said, no, it's actually pretty good. So. I guess, you know, I thought, well, okay, well what I've done is I've uh, tried to get it published in the wrong way. Let's assume, let me assume that the story is reasonable. Maybe I'm just going about this the wrong way. And it turns out that, you know, a lot of um, publishers these days just don't accept unsolicited manuscripts, and most of them don't even open them, even though they'll send you back a letter saying, you know, uh, thanks, we read it, and we're not, you know, interested in this kind of material at this time. Um, most of them just send you a form letter back. Mm. Um, so... Uh, I, I, I decided to go in a different way and I went direct to an agent. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be the thing to do. Mm. Um, because these days, if you want to get published, um, a lot of the, all the publishing companies, none of them hire readers to sit through what they call the slush pile. Mm. You know, they, they figure that, um, you know, if a book is, is worthwhile, somehow it'll find its way through the system. And, and mostly the, the gatekeepers of, of, that, of, of that system are the agents. Mm. Because the publishers figure, well, you know, an agent's only got eight hours in the day to make a living, um, and they're only going to promote books that they think are really worthwhile. So they listen to the, to the agents, and, and I happened to find a fantastic agent. She, and, and as it turned out, um, as it turned out, she was fantastic. Um, her name was Rose Creswell, and the only reason I went to Rose is that she just happened to be in and answered the phone at the, at the right time. Um, and she had a terrific um, reputation, and she read the manuscript and was her 100 pages, and she rang me back almost the same day and said, look, I've just read them. I'm really excited by this book. I, I don't think you'll have any problem getting it published. Come and see me. Send me the rest. So that's what I did, and pretty much uh, within two weeks I had a had a, a two-book deal with um, Pan McMillan, who uh, were one of the uh, publishing companies that sent me a rejection slip. <laughs> so persistence pays off. Yeah, I did in my case anyway. So Rogue Element involves elements of the SAS. Um, how well do you know about the inner workings of the SAS or is much of it the result of research or your imagination? or? It's a combination of both those things. Uh-huh. I mean, when... Um, 
uh, I didn't really know too much about it at all when I started. I, I just assumed I wanted this kind of a character. I wanted an SAS kind of character, and the story required, you know, a unit of SAS guys to go in and do their thing. And I, I really didn't know too much about it, so I just wrote the story and researched, you know, back from that. Uh, you know, I needed these guys to go in over here. Who? How are they going to do that? Who? You know, who? What sort of clearances do they need what sort of unit would they send in what sort of equipment would they take with them and i just researched it all you know i'd, I'd probably you know ask about face and, <laughs> and but you know it saves you a lot of time doing that if you have the, this is the this is my story this is my plot this is what i want to happen now what are the details that that kind of flesh that out so i, I kind of I, I don't know whether other writers do it that way but that's just the way i did it for the first book and um, you know, I've found when it comes to research that if you ask experts um, to, you know, kind of give you a leg up on their experience, just about everyone will help. There's very few, there are very few people in the world, when you say to them, look, I'm an author, you know, I'm writing this book, I want to get it right, can you help me please, just tell me what, you know, I, this is my idea, where is it wrong, and how, how, how can I make it right? And I haven't really struck anyone who'd say, look, go away, I'm not interested in, in, in helping you. And so did you interview people from the SAS or how did that go? I did, yeah. I, I, um, uh, how did I find... Okay, I wanted to, um, I wanted to uh, get these guys to parachute in to, um, to East Timor because I, I, you know, I'm sort of a little bit of a news junkie and, and um, you know, I've kind of read a bit anyway about about the Australian military and about the SAS. So I'd read a bit, and that helps, because at least your, your questions aren't completely stupid then. Mm. Um, and I, wa- I wanted these guys to parachute in. I thought, well, how am I going to get hold of a, an SAS or, 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 or someone who, who jumps for the army? And I had done a parachute jump myself um, fairly recently, so I called uh, the Australian Parachuting Club down at Picton, I think that's what they're called, and I spoke to the boss there and said, look, you know, this is me, I'm writing a book, and I want to, you know, do you know anyone who's got any military experience jump, you know, like a military parachutist? He said, well, actually, yeah, we do. There's a guy that uh, jumps out of here, and and uh, he's in the SAS. I'm like, oh, you are kidding. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much how, you know, how I reach most of my sources. I just go to the, the civilian... Um, uh, you know, like if I want to talk to a, if I want to talk to a military pilot, I'll go. I've gone. I found them through the Australian, sorry, the Sydney Aerobatic School because that's where military pilots go when they're flying. You know, uh, civilian aircraft. Mm, mm. So you just, I just find the, you know, where these where these guys are likely to hang out and get to them that way because it's almost impossible to get them. If I rang Pierce, for example, where these guys, where the SAS, you know, uh, are. Um, are based over in West Australia, I, I wouldn't get past reception. No, of course not. So, um, yeah, that's the way to do it. So you wrote sort of Allah, well, you released sort of Allah in 2004, a book about terrorism, which is set in, you know, Canberra, Israel, Papua New Guinea, Persian Gulf, Manila. What what inspired that book? What gave you that idea? Well, okay, when, when I when I um, got the publishing deal um, to, you know, with Pan Macmillan for Rogue Element, they said, look, we're not interested in a, in a one book one day. Have you got two books in you? I mean, of course, <laughs> yes. Um, 
And so they said, oh, okay, fine. Um, well, and they went ahead and, and published uh, Road Element. But they said, okay, now we want this book delivered in 12 months' time. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that really, that's a problem because I had no idea. Um, I didn't know, I hadn't, I, I had no, I had no idea for, for another book. So <laughs> I uh, picked on um, a couple of the characters from Rogue Element and thought, okay, well, what might be their next mission? Mm. And just chased that story through, and and I'm you know I'm a news junkie, and I was very interested in in uh, the Middle East, and trying to, you know, sort muddle through that problem, I guess. And um, so Rogue Ella, sorry, sort of Ella, Ella was um, born of that, and I and I also wanted to try because Australia at that stage was really you know stepping up to the plate thanks to Iron Man John Howard you know mm. uh, wanting to be the the sheriff of this part of the world and and um Australia was flexing its its military muscles and I thought okay well you know how can Australia help in this you know this kind of uh this area of the world the middle east that's been you know problematic since the romans um decided to invade it and uh yeah sort of Allah was was um, the result of that. Mm. And your lead character in, in the first two books is Tom Wilkes, an SAS sergeant. Is he based on anyone? Um, no, I guess Tom Tom just kind of um, just appeared, really. Um, I, I needed a character and, and Tom, you know, fit the bill. But it was interesting writing those two books because I, I found it actually, when it came to my lead characters... Quite a few people, you know, seem to like Tom, but he was too good for me. I mean, he was much too... I mean, one of my, um, I guess, issues with Tom Clancy is I, I find his... I think his, you know, handling technical detail is terrific and his plots are great, but I think his characters are incredibly two-dimensional or even one-dimensional. Mm. And I and I felt that Tom was, was in danger of falling into the same camp. You know, he was... He always make the right decision. He's utterly good. He's motivated by all the right things. And um, would I want to have a beer with a guy? Mm, probably not really. <laughs> um, so I, I, I wanted to do a different kind of character. And um, so really it was Tom that sent me back to the drawing board. So your next character then, your next lead character, Vin Cooper, is is someone? Is that somebody you would have a beer with? And how did you develop him? Yeah, he's a bit of a rogue. You know, is Finn. He doesn't necessarily make the the right decisions. He's not. He's not in the least politically correct. Um, and yet, he does. His heart is in the right place. Although sometimes it takes him a while to figure out, um, you know, sort of what's right and what's wrong. Um. I, he's a much more realistic character. He he is someone I think, you know, I would like to have a drink with. And, you know, he's he's driven by irony and sarcasm and, you know, he finds himself in these situations that, where he, you know, that aren't of his choosing or of his making. And, you know, he uses humour to, you know, to kind of help him deal with them. And I kind of like that. It's... Even though he's written as an American character, that feels quite Australian to me as mm. well. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I like uh, Finn. He's um, he's someone I can be around for quite some time. Your books are quite um, escapist in 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 a way because 
they take readers to a completely different world. Do you live in that world while you're writing that book or how, how do you get into, you know, a life that's so different really to your own? Yeah, well, um, it helps being, you know, having a, an imagination yes. um, on, the, on the one hand. But look, uh, there's a guy, called, there's a poet called Robert Frost who said an idea is a feat of association and that I, that's really what where most of my ideas come from. You know, I just draw together different strings into, you know, something, something hopefully new. Um, but when it comes to some of those strings, like, uh, for example, in the latest book with Finn Cooper uh, called Hard Rain, mm. he finds himself in uh, Istanbul and then in Egypt. And I kind of feel when it comes to that, but when it comes to uh, that sort of detail, in order to have a really good fit, you know, to convey a sense of place, you need to have an understanding for it. What does it smell like? You know, mm. what, uh, when it rains, what's, what do they eat? You know, what's the music like that you hear on the street? All that stuff is really important, I think, um, if you're going to establish another world, um, you know, for, in, in a reader's mind. Mm. And so I, I go there. Um, there are some places, however, that I haven't been to which feature in my book. And one of those, of course, is Iraq. I haven't been to Iraq, but I've talked to a lot of people who have, and and you know that I would love, I would like to go. Um, part of me would like to go, but the part of me ruled by my wife um, <laughs> won't let me go. And um, so, yeah, I'm not, I haven't gone there. I also haven't gone to Riga, which features um, in the Death Trust. And interestingly, I went to Riga through the pages of The Lonely Planet. You know, I bought the book, right. read it from cover to cover, went on the internet, had a look at photographs of Riga, and I know enough about European cities to have a reasonable sort of feeling for them. And so then I settled this fog over the city, you know, so that all I could see were the, the spires of the um, of the churches through mm. the top of the fog and kept the um, locations within the city very tight. Mm. So I didn't have to you know, uh, give people too much of a, 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 you know, a bigger picture of what, of what Riga is like. Whereas in Istanbul, I had given people a really good impression of what Istanbul is like. Mm. And uh, my editor at Pan Macmillan, after the, um, the Death Trust was written, I was, we went to lunch and, and uh, she said... <laughs> Isn't Riga the best place? <laughs> I went, I've never been. I wouldn't know. So, you know, you, you can do it convincingly just as long as you really, uh, you know, toughen yourself and you control the environment. Mm, good technique. Yeah. Uh, there's, you obviously have a real sense of adventure yourself. What do you do in your daily life to fuel that sense of adventure? Oh, you know, look, uh, the, the, the honest truth is I um, – I'm just a, one of those Walter Mitty types, you know. I, I would, I just, my wife is, you know, is often says to me, where are you? And I can't tell her that, you know, I'm, I'm having an affair with a, with a Russian spy, you know. <laughs> um, so, or I'm jumping out of a, a plane that's on fire. I mean, it's, I just think about these things and what it would be like and how would I feel and, and then I read about them. Um, but, of course, okay, when it comes to the flying stuff, I'm an aerobatic pilot, so that helps. Mm. Um, and I've raced motorbikes in my time, and I, I'm a speed junkie. You know, I love fast cars and 
Um, so there's there's that that kind of goes into the mix. And as I say, it's it's that whole feat of association thing. You know, you bring all these sensations and and feelings and and um, and knowledge in you know uh, into the into the stories, and somehow they hopefully they come out as being halfway sort of entertaining. Mm. But I love to travel as well. I really think that that is is the sexiest thing you can do with your clothes on. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever happened to the advertising agency? Oh, uh, it got sold. Um, the the Japs bought it. No, sorry, the Japanese bought it, <laughs> and um, uh, an agency called Densu, and then it merged with some other agency, and that agency merged with another agency. So, three mergers in the space of six months later, I went, I can't do this anymore, um, and I went out and had a crack at being. I got I got some money, of course, and and used that to bankroll um, uh, trying to be a, a professional writer. That's when you decided this is it. I'm going to do writing full time. Yeah, you know, a dumb decision in retrospect because I, <laughs> I, I blew a huge amount of money. Um, uh, but uh, you know, it's taken a long time. I, I wrote my first four books at night. Really, I, I had to go back to work really uh, after a while because you know the money did run out, and I still hadn't didn't have the the you know the publishing contract with with Bantam in the states that I now have, and. You know, I got a wife and three kids, and you know, you kind of do what you got to do to support them. And and um, uh, so I went back to advertising on a freelance basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just uh, going to work at nine and coming home at six, and leaving all the you know the advertising stuff behind, and going home and writing from eight o'clock till eleven most nights. Wow, that's discipline. Um, well, you know, you, if you want to do something, you. There are only 24 hours of the day. You've got to earn a living. Where's right. that, where are those hours going to come? Well, they've got to come out of your sleep. So now tell us about your typical writing day. What what does that look like? Okay, well, up until a week ago, um, <laughs> my my typical writing day was I would get out of bed. Uh, my my desk is in my bedroom, uh, in our in our bedroom, we a large bedroom, and and uh, I just sit down and 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 start tapping away, and I you know kind of assist getting the kids off to school. Mm-hmm. I write until um, midday, then I go for a run, or I I go flying or something, and then I, and I come home in the afternoon and I write again. And then the kids come home and I help them with their homework, and at eight o'clock or eight thirty, I keep writing, and I'd probably get around two thousand words, two and a half thousand words done each day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day I edit the previous day's two and a half thousand words to get me into the, you know, back into the story. Mm. And then all the time in between, I'm thinking about conversations, playing them forwards and backwards, thinking about the plot, mm. you know, what's going to happen, where's it going to go. Even though I, I do have a, a, um, a synopsis, you know, the nuances of, of, of the subplot and, and, you know, just keep playing back and forth in my head and, and somehow it just comes out the next day. Um, but uh, a week ago, um, I got a, well, two weeks ago, I got a call from a friend of mine who um, is running a huge multinational agency in, 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 Sydney, well, in Sydney that's having a few problems and they didn't have a creative director and I'm doing that job as an interim right. an interim job um, to help out until they, they get the real, real McCoy in. So you can kind of flick between the two. Yeah, it, I've actually decided there are aspects of advertising that I quite like. Mm. Um, it's it's 
you know, I'm an ideas junkie. I, I really like a great piece of communication, mm. um, and I do I do enjoy a blank sheet of paper and a brief. So if I can do, you know, some advertising, you know, my future is writing definitely. That's that's where I'm going. But a little bit of advertising every now and then is good because I get, you know, to talk to pe- lots of different people. I've spent essentially three years in my pyjamas and Ugg boots in my bedroom. <laughs> um, so it's good to um, get out and, and talk to some different people. And, and, um, and in fact, the idea for um, Hard Rain came from a conversation that I had with a production manager at, at an advertising agency who told me that, that um, Israel buys a lot of its water from... Um, from Turkey, and that's not what the story ended up being. But mm. it, it sent me down this um, this track, and uh, that was a really interesting thing that I didn't know. So, um, you know, so those kind of conversations, those sort of random conversations that you have, you only get when you're not um, just talking to the people between your ears. <laughs> yes, that's an interesting place to stay. Yeah. So what has been the response from readers? Do you get readers emailing you or, or contacting you or telling you what they think about your books? I do. I, I get a lot from America, actually. Um, <clears throat> the Death Trust, the first of the Vinci, they bought the three Vintage books um, and the third one's come out in Australia, but the first one has only just come out in the States and only in a hardcover, so the numbers are reasonably small. Um, and that won't come out in paperback until next February when they're going to print, I don't know, three-quarters of a million of the things and sell them pretty much everywhere. But up until fairly recently, I was getting two emails a day, two to three emails a day from readers of the Death Trust in the States to tell me they they enjoyed the book, but I got a fact wrong Um, (laughs) or something, you know. Yeah. and yeah, so the, I, I do. I get fan mail, which is, um, you know, which I and I answer every single letter with a personal response um, because I think if someone's taken the time to write to you, I think it's, you know, it's good manners, if nothing else, just to write back and say thank you for taking the time. And and um, even the actually, one, I get some weirdos too. I get one guy, you know, sort of wrote to me and said, um, oh, you know, I really enjoyed your book, but you blaspheme far too much right. and I think the next book that you write you should be careful because you know God is watching and, and so no more blaspheming from you thank wow. you wow um, <laughs> okay sure <laughs> okay and finally what advice would you give to other people who would like to write and, and are thinking about it kind of later in life as well um, well don't give up your day job really I mean writing is is a is a hobby, I think. For I'm just I'm incredibly lucky that I I've just happened to have, you know, got this contract in America. Um, most writers I know, with rare exception, um, do it at night and um, love it. Uh, but you know, as a as a as a full time career, I think you've got to be incredibly lucky. I mean, you've got to be lucky all the way along the line. You've got to be lucky to have a good idea, lucky enough to be able to have the time to put it down, lucky to get a publisher, lucky to get to sell enough to you know to keep the publisher interested. Mm. You know what I mean? The luck just, of course, you've got to work at it, but you just need you need luck throughout the process. Mm. Um, so I guess my advice would be. Um, as a writer, 
Had, ask yourself whether you've got a good idea. Mm. Ask yourself whether you enjoy your characters. Um, don't stop writing and edit the stuff. Put the put the put the book on the wall. Put the you know put the the words away for a few weeks and then come back to them when they're no longer yours and mm. you can you know look at them dispassionately and and kill the the bits that just don't work. Um, and you only you can only do that if you have a little bit of distance. Or rewrite it thirty five times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I you know I actually think. A lot of that that rewriting stuff I did, um, you know, I just didn't want to kill stuff. Mm. You know, I just didn't want to kill stuff. Um, and, and so it just took me so many times to, you know, to come to the conclusion that, you know, that this bit didn't work or that bit didn't work or whatever. And I also, that first book was, um, I guess, uh, you know, diarrhea to some degree. I just wrote it. I didn't <laughs> think about it too much. You know, I, I knew what the story was and everything, but I just put everything down. And you know, it had so, so many cliches in it, and and it just took me forever to you know to purge the book of all that stuff. Um, but but anyway, what's yeah. left is the cream. Hopefully, I mean, I can't read that book. In fact, I I can't. Yeah, I haven't read that book in seven years. But wow. a lot of people. Um, who read it say, oh, it's really good. I love it. It's the best thing you've done. And I go, you're kidding, really? <laughs> I feel actually bad about that because I kind of hope I'm getting better. <laughs> oh, well, we look forward to hard rain then. Are, are you working on the next thing? I am actually. I'm 10,000 words um, away from completing book number six, which is not a Vancouver book. Uh-huh. Um, and it is, I guess it's, I'm having a real hard look at Russia. Right. Russia is in this, as, you know, as when it was part of the Soviet, major part of the Soviet Union, and the post-Soviet Union, uh, Russia, and it's centred around the shooting down of Korean, Korean Airlines Flight 007 um, off Sakhalin Island by a Soviet missile in 1983. Wow. And uh, yeah, so that's in fact I was in Siberia um, earlier this year, kind of researching um, aspects of that book. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my my next thing. It's it's kind of a if 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 Vin Cooper is a cross between um, Raymond Chandler and and Robert Ludlum, so I've been told, it's not me talking, right? Um, then this one is a cross between Robert Ludlum and John Macare. So it's, it's kind of a very much it's kind of a spy type Great. Um, thing, much tougher as well than my usual offering. We look forward to it. Well, good luck with the next ten thousand words. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time today, David. Thanks very much, Helen. There you go, David Rollins. I like how David has really put some structure into his day and there's a set routine in the morning for his writing, a set routine during the day and a set routine in the afternoon and evening as well. Not all of us can have that luxury because, you know, there's this thing, it's called life, there's children, there's family, there's responsibilities. And sometimes we do need to grab those moments of snatched time where we can fit in our writing, but that's not necessarily sustainable. That's certainly useful to get some momentum going. But if you're serious about your writing, you have to try to, even if they're small little chunks, even if they're 10 minute little chunks, try to fit in not just snatched time, but some structured time as well. And when you have that structured time, then at least you know, okay, it may only be 10 minutes, but at least I've got that there. And it feels less 
uh, overwhelming and also you feel less guilty and feel, feel less like a failure that you're not committing some time to your writing because you've, you've got a little bit of structure in there, a little bit of a window, even if it's just 10 minutes. So I encourage you in your writing to make sure that you are putting in some structure, no matter how small, no matter how brief, so that you can get your writing going. The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses, with online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing. Students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.